What are you willing to trade? What am I willing to do to follow Christ in the world in which I live, in the world in which you live? Jesus said, he is no fool, who actually it was Jim Elliot who said, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus said something like, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Today we're going to celebrate communion together at the end of the service, and the focus today is on the idea of the Great Commission, baptism, and communion. And as I get ready to start, there's a couple of little announcements that I want to make that uh, I want to make sure you're aware of. One is that if you look in the bulletin today, you will notice that the total amount of money that came in for the Christmas Eve offering was $69.38, $69.48, something like that. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And so thank you, thank you for your generosity. And so we are so excited that that amount of money came in and that money will get off to Solid Rock International to buy um, the operating table, but then a bunch of other stuff as well. So again, thank you for, for that. In your mailbox today, there are calling sheets for our leadership calling that we're going to have actually on January 26th. So we give these to you three weeks in advance. We, we hope that you take them home and that you prayerfully consider uh, who it is that you think God may be leading you to nominate for a particular position. It can even be yourself uh, if you'd like. And so please take some time to fill those out. We will collect them on January 26th, but if by next week you've you're pretty settled on what you'd like to do. You can turn those in into the black boxes as, uh, as well. And then, two more things. This Monday starts our reading of Matthew chapters 1 and 2, getting ready for uh, the next sermon series, which will begin next Sunday. So, we'd love for you to read just two chapters of the Bible, Matthew 1 and 2. And if you'd like to engage with others about those chapters, we need to join our sermon Facebook group, which you can join by simply somehow letting me know that you'd like to be invited to the group. We'll invite you. You can join. There's a little over 50 people, I think, on that group right now. Hopefully, we'll have a lot more. And that way, as you, if you have questions about those chapters you're reading or you want to see what other people are thinking about or posting, please follow along with that. And then each week, the sermon will have something to do with one of those two chapters or an event or a story or a parable as we walk through Matthew all the way through, of course, Matthew 28, which will get us to Easter Sunday, and we will celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And then one more thing. Today— we have available our 40-day prayer guide, which actually only has 38 days. But there is a 40-day prayer guide, I didn't change the title anyway, and uh, a card, a laminated card, that has Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 on it. So these are available. They're outside this door and then at the, the ministry table as you, as you leave the main, the main entry. The idea here is that for day one and following, you will pray for the people that are listed in that particular day. So there are one, two, three, four, five, six different families or family units, so it might be an individual person, who are listed here on the prayer guide. So we're going to start this on January 13th. So that is day one. January 13th will be day one. So you'll have plenty of time to pick them up. Um, you can obviously scan them in, make them electronic, but also this will just help you to understand uh, what we'd like you to pray for those people and uh, where the blank is, you would fill in their name. I encourage you not to just simply fill all the names in at once and say, okay, God, um, all these people right here on the sheet, I pray this. I would encourage you to actually fill their name in individually. This is what I've been doing, and fill them in individually as you pray the prayer for them. And the other good thing about it is a lot of people think, oh, I don't really have time to memorize the Bible. Like I, I can pretty much guarantee you 
by the time you have recited this 220-some times over the next 40 days, you'll pretty much have this scripture. It's a great scripture to have memorized in your heart. So, uh, so pick, please pick those up. We will begin that on January 13th. And also then, of course, you don't have to just pray this prayer for those. You can pray other prayers that you can think about for them as you know those people. Maybe there'll be lots of people on here you don't even know. But you can pray for them anyway. Pray this mighty prayer that Paul gives us in the book of Ephesians. All right, so let's get going with our sermon today. I want to focus around two particular words, okay? Um, Command and community. So if you're following along in the notes... The first sermon for the new year focuses on the idea of baptism and communion. Now, I was planning on having a baptism for today in our new baptistry that was given to us, but that didn't work out. But that's going to normally then be set up right over here, kind of where David would be right in the middle of the baptistry right now, okay, if it was there, okay? He'd be, he'd be all wet, and, uh, and he'd be right there in the middle. But right about over here is where we're going we're gonna to set that up. And um, that didn't work out for this week, but hopefully before the end of the month, we will have it set up and we will have at least one or two baptisms on, on Sunday morning. And, and I want us to think about, just as we get started this morning, why is it that we don't have that happening every month? Why is it that maybe we don't, I mean, for a long time, for most of the time that I've been here, we've only been doing baptisms in the pond. We've had a couple of other times where we've had them done here. But the, the Bible calls us to something different, really. It calls us to make disciples. Part of that is baptism. And so I would hope, it's certainly my prayer, my desire, and I hope you would share it, that at least every month we have this thing set up over here. And so that we can, can have people baptized in it every month as an evidence of new life in Christ. And if you want to help set up the baptistry, then you can have a hot tub party after the service is over. Right there. You can't do that. But anyway... Baptism is central to the last command that Jesus gave before his ascension into heaven. So we have these last words of Jesus in some of the Gospels, and of course in the book of Acts as Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts 1. And so we have this section of Scripture in Matthew 28, it's often referred to as the Great Commission. And so the Bible says that Jesus came and spoke to them, the disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? So this is, this is what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission, these sort of last marching orders of Jesus to his disciples after his resurrection and before he ascends into, into heaven. So we're just going to walk through this a little bit, twofold ways, thinking about the idea of command and community. So in the Great Commission, there is a command, right? There is something that we are supposed to go and do. And it's not optional, and it doesn't appear to be a suggestion. It appears to be something that Jesus said for the disciples, and I believe certainly by extension then the disciples that come later, you and I. And the command is simply to make disciples by baptizing and teaching. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of, uh, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus says. So this is a command for us. We are to make disciples. We are to think about 
everything that revolves around our life is to make disciples, to be disciples ourselves, and then to make disciples. I so appreciated what Eric had to say about this idea of, of giving your life. Because it's true that we often think about that as a sacrifice, right? We think, ah, we think, oh, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, I'm going to have to give up my agenda. I have to give up my plans. I have to give up my money. I have to give up my time. But, but think about if you've ever had a child or a grandchild and you've tried to get them across something, like across a creek or across some kind of rocky place, and you've said, hey, give me your hand. Give me your hand. You, you didn't do that because you wanted the child to lose something, right? You, you want them to give them your, you want him or her to give them your hand because you want to help them. You want to give them something. You want to give them access across the creek. You want to give them access across this rocky place. You're trying to help them. You're actually trying to improve the situation by having them to give you something. And that's exactly what the way it is with the Christian life. By you and I giving our lives to Christ, by us joining in this process of making disciples and being disciples ourselves, we're not losing anything that's not being made up for by that which we gain. Of course we're losing something, but we're gaining something far more. And so as we think about this idea of making disciples, this great commission, I pray that we don't see it as a lose-lose proposition. It's a win for us. So let's think about baptism for just a minute. Baptism identifies a person with Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, we read, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So baptism itself was not new to the Christian community. There was Jewish baptism. We see in Matthew chapter um, 3, the introduction of John the Baptist, who was doing baptisms for repentance of sin. So the principle wasn't new. It's, It's not a new thing. But in the New Testament, after the resurrection of Jesus, baptism carries a different significance. It carries this idea of identifying with Jesus. And so as Paul is writing to the Romans, uh, this is why I think immersion, uh, baptism by immersion is so important, is the idea that you were buried under the water in the likeness of his death, not left under there very long, and instead come back up, raised to newness of life, to picture the resurrection of Christ. So baptism identifies a person with Jesus. And when we watch people to get baptized, and when we see that happening, we're reminded, hopefully, of what's going on in that person's life. And I would encourage you, uh, if you've never been baptized, get baptized. There's nothing terrible about it. It's, it's a wonderful experience, and you also provide an opportunity for other people who maybe even sort of not so sure about the faith and, and, and what this whole Christianity thing is about, is to experience that. And there's something Dare I say, I believe, like Eric's word, mystical, even supernatural in that. Baptism itself doesn't, doesn't save you, doesn't wash away your sins or anything like that, but it's a symbolic representation. But there's more to it than that. There's, there's something spiritual that goes on when we identify with Christ and we identify with the church and we identify with believers around the world as we enter into baptism. So in the Great Commission, there is a command in each of us is responsible to follow and teach the commands of Jesus. So pause here for just a moment and ask yourself, just quietly ask yourself, how am I doing? How, 
How involved am I in following and teaching the commands of Jesus? It isn't just the responsibility of the person sitting next to you or the people on the stage or the people on the staff or the people on the spiritual life team or the people on this and that. No, no, it is, it is all encompassing the responsibility. And you know what else? You can't do it and still do everything else you want to do in your life. Can I just get that out there? You just can't. You can't. You won't be able to do and fill your life with everything this world has to offer and still follow and teach the commands of Jesus. You will have to give some good things up to do it. You just do. You may have to give up hobbies. You may have to give up second jobs. You may have to give up um, uh, things that you enjoy. But it's a command. And when we give those things to Christ, we will not be disappointed. So in the Great Commission, there is a command, but there is also a community, right? There's a community. None of us has to do this alone. We have each other to help in the process, right? We have each other to help in the process. This is not about um, I have to or you have to somehow figure this all out, and it's all about you. And this is what's one of the wonderful things about the church, is that we work together, we serve together to help in this process. There are, there are people here who have been nurtured and taught and discipled from children by dozens of different people over those years. As different people have invested into their lives via Sunday school or small groups or Friday fun or whatever it might be, youth ministry. All throughout the, the, their years, they have been invested in by other people. So we have each other to help us with this. Now, as I was thinking about this as it relates to this idea of the calling process, is that many times when, when we feel like, when we're asked to serve in some type of leadership position, or it's, our knee-jerk reaction is either I don't have time, see the previous thought, or I just, I, just, I'm not, I don't have it all together myself, right? Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not mature enough. I'm not, I'm not ready yet. And though that might be the case in some situations, I want you to think about that a little bit because there, aren't, there isn't any of us in this room that has it all together. And I was thinking about the idea of parenting. I'll be 55 in two weeks. And, and I really think if I could go back and do parenting all over again, I would be much better at it now than I was at 24. I think we started at 26. We had infertility issues, and so we ended up adopting someone at 26. I think that's when I started being a parent. I think I'd be a lot better if I could go back with the experience and wisdom. I still have most of the same amount of energy, I think, I had when I was 26. I could go back. Well, that's not true. Um, I just have to go to bed earlier. <laughs> but but I think most of us that have walked that road, you probably, you know, would go back and say, oh, I would do that differently, and I would do that differently, and I would, I would, I would change that, and I wouldn't adopt that strategy, I'd adopt this strategy, or I would do this with schooling, or I wouldn't do that with schooling. But you know, we don't get that option, do we? Not too many people start at 50 parenting. Now, if you feel led to start 50 parenting, go do it. Some people do foster care at 50 or adoption at 50. But 
but we're never really good at it when we start out. But we do it anyway, don't we? And I think that part of the process of parenting is not just for the benefit of the kids. It's also for the benefit of us. We become different people. If God calls us into that, then we become different people. It's part of the process of maturing us. If you will, we become who we are through engaging in a process for which we are not particularly qualified but in which we felt like it was something that was important for us to do, if it is, right? It's the same way with ministry, right? You may not feel particularly qualified to do something in this process of helping in yourself or others in the discipleship process, but you probably are fine, and you have other people to help you. And of course, not only do you have other people to help you, but you have God, right? The end of the Great Commission, Jesus didn't say, I'm out, right? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and I'm out. I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap. I'm good. You're good. No, he says what? Hey, I'm here. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, not physically, but through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, and so, so as we think about this idea of making disciples, we think about the idea of command, and we think about the idea of community, we have to recognize that he's still there. We have each other to help us, and then we have God to make it all possible. Right? There's nothing that we're really doing apart from him that's of value in the kingdom. But he's there. Lo, I am with you not just Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, not just Sunday. I'm with you always even to the very end of the age. So I hope as we think about a new year at Buffalo Valley Church of the Brethren, we, we want to be a people that are committed to the Great Commission. Baptizing, teaching, making disciples. But then there's another part of this that is so special, and that is so precious, and that has to do with communion. And so in communion, there is Community. As we celebrate communion with the partaking of this unleavened bread, and, and in our case, we use grape juice, we are, we are declaring something about the communion and community that we have with God, right? So in a symbolic way, we partake of the blood and body of Jesus. We do not believe that the bread actually becomes the body of Christ, or the blood actually, or the, the grape juice actually becomes the blood of Jesus, and it's a symbol, but it is also, as Eric said, mystical. There is something more to it than simply ritual. We are identifying with the communion of Jesus' sacrifice. Right? right? We're saying, yes, this was for me. This body was broken for me. This blood was shed for me. There is something for me in this. And I identify then and I share in the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. Which in part moves us to consider the sacrifice that we're willing to make for him as we live our lives and as we seek to make disciples going out into all the world. We identify ourselves with the communion of Jesus' sacrifice. There is also then communion with each other. Most of the time as we celebrate communion, certainly as we do it here at Buffalo Valley, it's done with other people. 
right? We celebrate the fact that I'm doing communion with you. I am sharing this with you. All throughout the New Testament, we, we understand this concept of community. If you're not familiar with, with this, the early church, just go home today uh, or, and read Acts chapter 2. The end of Acts chapter 2, you see community all over the place. They continued together in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, steadfastly in breaking the bread and in prayers. They had all things in common. There's this great sense of community, and they changed the world. Now, it's challenging for us. We don't live in the same village. We, we, we're, we're miles and miles apart in many ways. But we can have, and I know many of you do appreciate, the specialness of the community. The communion with one another in the body of Christ. And as we celebrate today, as we partake today, I hope you'll celebrate the communion. You know, even if you're sitting next to a person or in your row, somebody you don't really like that much. I see all these husbands and wives looking at each other. This is fun. This is fun to me. I love this. Right? There's community here. And, And again, you know, man, we mess it up a lot. Right? We step on each other's toes a lot. We say things that, that get misinterpreted, or sometimes we say things because we really do want to put a burr in somebody's saddle. It's wrong, but it's community. But we're still there. We're still there. And then one more thought. In communion, there is also a command. So this is the parallel part of this. When Paul writes about the communion experience in Romans, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he uses this phrase in both cases. We'll read this scripture a little bit later as we actually celebrate. But he says that Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. I believe that it's not simply a call to nostalgia. Right? That... You know, a month after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter and James and John and others are sitting around and they're saying, hey, 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 we're going we're gonna to do this supper thing and, 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 and celebrate this with bread and, and wine. And they were sitting around and they were going, hey, hey, remember that time? Remember that time when Jesus healed that leper? That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, remember, remember that time when, when he called them a brood of vipers? He called the Pharisees a brood of vipers? Remember that, remember that time when he called them whitewashed tombs? Boy, I thought, I've never really seen him look like that before. I, I, that, was, that was really cool. And did you see the look on those Pharisees? Oh, my word. And they just sort of sat around and, and reminisced about what had happened and their time spent with Jesus. And then they sort of just, you know, finished up and went out. I, I don't think that's what he means. I don't think he means do this in remembrance of me in terms of nostalgia. Right? I think rather what he meant was that thinking of the past leads to acting in the present. Right? When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, maybe part of that could be nostalgia for them, but it wasn't the main reason. It was to encourage them and empower them to get out and go make disciples. So I like to think about the words command and communion. I'd like to invite <laughs> spiritual life team to come on up and begin to get ready for serving our communion this morning.
But bef- and as we do that, I want us to sing a song. So you guys will come on up. We're going to sing the song, Search Me, O God. And, and what, this, what this song does is invites you to pray a prayer that simply says, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Communion is a time of reflection. You know, we think about our lives. Again, not just simply to think about them, but to think about our lives as it repairs us for something for tomorrow. And I'd just like you to ask yourselves, how do the commands of Christ fit into your life? Again, I recognize that Jesus, I believe, asks you to give up things. You just can't do everything this world has to offer and still follow Christ. You can do some of the things. Not all of them. Not all of them. And then think about community. Maybe, maybe in reality, if you would be inclined to engage more, you'd actually not only benefit yourself, but benefit other people who need to hear from you and learn from you. It isn't really true that we can do this Christian life on our own. We see that sometimes on social media. It's not true. You don't need, I don't need you, you don't need me to enter into a relationship with Jesus. I can't live that relationship out obediently on my own. It's not possible. It's not what the Bible says. You know, it's funny. Why do, why do people in Iran or in Afghanistan or in India, why do they risk imprisonment, death, perhaps loss of their job, to gather together with 10 other people in darkness to study the Bible? Why do they do that? When, when we have people who say, I don't, need church, I don't need church, I'll just worship God on my own. Why do people do that? Why do people in the Himalayan mountains walk two hours in the snow to get into a place that you wouldn't even park your car to gather together? It's because they realize, as genuine followers of Jesus, they need community. So do we. So do we.